Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today and last week and today, I want to talk um, to people that, you know, like we were mentioning, who, who have real faith in God, um, real faith in, in, in Jesus Christ and what he came to do for us and through us and with us, who really want to follow Jesus and be his disciples and talk kind of about how that faith affects um, a hugely important part of our, our new faith-filled existence. And like I mentioned last week for guests, you know, I'm here and you're here this morning and I'm, I'm talking about generosity and giving and money. And honestly, the church and, and, and especially like preachers on television, I hate to even say this, like there's a, there's a bad reputation out there, right? There's a lot of talk about the church and all it cares about is money and these kinds of things, which is why I think it's a great day for you to be here at City Grace. Um, we do things a little bit differently around here when it comes to money and finances, and I hope you notice that. I hope that it speaks to you and lets you know that, man, this is not about making me rich or making us rich or just promoting this building or this thing. Like We want to be on mission. We want to be about bringing God's rule and God's reign into our world. And so it turns out when you look at like the early church and the reputation that they had, there's some really good news. In the early church and when the Jesus movement kind of first kicked off, Nobody had a bad reputation about money and, and about giving to that early church. Um, in fact, their, their, gen, their reputation was all about generosity, and we're going to see that in just a second. And so I think I, as a pastor, I really do, I have a passion and a burden to kind of, you know, not that this church has necessarily ever been one of those abusers, but just to make sure that the things that we do as a church, I want to guide our giving in such a way that the things that we do as the local chapter of the Jesus movement just really speak very clearly and very loudly to the world around us that we want to be on the same mission as the Jesus movement was when it first began. And so it turns out that generosity is kind of a way for us to take our spiritual temperature, it's kind of a way for us to check um, our faith and that kind of thing. And we covered that last week a little bit, that we can measure our fear um, versus our faith and kind of see where we line up. We can, we can measure who we really believe is responsible for providing our needs in this world. And, and then that belief, whether or not it frees us to kind of live and, and give um, fearlessly to see God's reign come into existence in our world through us. And, and, and on, you know, as, as, as you think about talking about finances and money and that kind of thing at church, it almost seems like, you know, why? Like, why, are, why would I go to church to talk about money, right? Like, you know, there, there are a lot of other venues and a lot of other contexts in which I could talk about money. I could go talk to a financial planner. I could go talk to an advisor, my retirement advisor, somebody, Edward Jones or Charles Schwab. You know, there's even Financial Peace University classes like that happen outside of a church service, you know, aren't there better places for these conversations about finances? Because honestly, at times, and, and just depending on our perspective, the topic of money doesn't feel like a very spiritual topic, does it? I mean, you know, like it, we come to church for comfort. We come to church for inspiration. We come to church for help or for reassurance or forgiveness or new beginnings, right? Like church is supposed to be spiritual and heavenly and, and money just seems so physical and earthly, right? The church is supposed to be religious and, and money just seems like a secular concept and, and God and church, it's supposed to be about love and grace and salvation and, and maybe we, you know, in our own kind of, you know, insulated world, maybe we are about money and possessions and spending 
and saving. So why, why would we come to church and want to talk about money? And it turns out when we look at the Bible, the Bible has a ton that it wants to say to us about money. The Bible has over 2,350 verses on money. In the Bible, money is mentioned two times as often as the concepts of heaven and hell. Jesus talks about money more than he ever talked about heaven and hell. 15% of the recorded words of Jesus are solely on the topic of money. Almost half of the parables, remember those confusing stories that he told sometimes? Almost half of all of the parables that Jesus told, he talked about money. He talked about money more than he talked about the word love. That's a big surprise, isn't it? Because when we think of Jesus, it's all about love. That's like the first thing that comes to mind. So if Jesus talked about money this much, was Jesus being unspiritual? Like if Jesus talked about money that much, was he kind of, you know, missing, uh, you know, how we were supposed or what we were supposed to hear from him? And, and, or maybe, you know, how we relate to money is more spiritual than we realize. And so there's a question that we should ask ourselves, like, what did Jesus know about money and possessions that we don't, Right? How did Jesus seem to connect money and possessions to spirituality more than we do at times? And there's a couple of stories, and we're going to look at a couple more a little bit later on. How many of you ever heard the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, the short man, he was a tax collector, um, and, and uh, he was actually a traitor to the Jewish people. The Roman army had come in and, and kind of occupied the land of Israel, and, and the way they did that, the way they sustained their presence there was to collect taxes from the people they were oppressing. So Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, but he went to work for the Romans. And then on top of that, he was collecting taxes from his fellow countrymen, and then he would actually like charge them a little bit more taxes than what they really owed, and he'd pocket that. And Zacchaeus got rich. He got really, really rich. And Jesus came to Zacchaeus' village one day, and everybody hated Zacchaeus. Nobody in the, in the village liked Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had to climb up in a tree because he couldn't see Jesus. And Jesus called him down and said, hey, let's go to your house for dinner. And everybody's thinking, what in the world's Jesus doing? Nobody's supposed to go with Zacchaeus. Go find like, the, the good people in the town. Don't go to dinner with Zacchaeus. But Jesus does. He goes to dinner at Zacchaeus' house and during that dinner, we don't know what the conversation was, but during that dinner, Zacchaeus has a complete conversion and becomes a follower of Jesus. And when he comes out of the house, he says, you know what, I have been converted, and so I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if anybody comes to me and can tell me how that I cheated them, or maybe, I, maybe he had records himself, I'm going to return four times as much as I have cheated back to those people. Now, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't look at Zacchaeus and say, well, that, that's a good idea. Jesus doesn't look at Zacchaeus and say, hey, you're a good guy, Zacchaeus. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, today, salvation has come to your house. Well, Jesus, Zacchaeus wasn't talking about salvation. Zacchaeus was talking about money. Salvation is spiritual, you know, but what Zach, Zacchaeus does, what Zach, what Zach does with his money that's something different. There's another time, this rich young ruler. Anybody, anybody heard the story of the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus? And he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, eternal life, that's a spiritual thing, right? That's like the heaven thing. What do I need to do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, well, have you kept the commandments? And that makes a little more sense to us. You know, okay, Jesus, now we're back on solid ground. You know, have you kept the religious rules that you need to keep to get into heaven, right? But wait, you know, if it's all about just following the rules, and this guy says, yeah, I've kept the rules since I was a little boy in Sunday school. But if he kept all the rules since he was a little boy in Sunday school, why does he need to come to Jesus and ask Jesus, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? 
unless just following the rules wasn't enough. Something was missing. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, okay, well, here's what you got to do. Go and sell everything you have. This is a rich young ruler. Like he had daddy's trust fund money. Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor and come and follow me. Now that's kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, give me 10% or, you know, give 10% of what you have. Give 50% of what you have. Give a lot of what you have. He didn't say, set up a trust fund and, like, leave the capital untouched, but whatever interest you're earning, like, give that away, you know, and then your capital stays intact and everything's going to be good for No, Jesus says, you lack something, and here's what you are lacking. Go sell everything and come and follow me. Now, see, look, I'm a pastor, And if that was me, I would have handled that a little bit differently. I really would have. I I would have recommended him to my pastor friends. Hey, have him come talk to your youth group. I would have maybe tried to get him a a speaking position at a youth conference somewhere or something like that. Or, you know, maybe write a book, How to Keep the Rules in a Godless Society and that kind of stuff. But because Jesus wasn't as good as adding people to the church as I am, no, Jesus told him, go give everything you have away. And the young ruler, the rich young ruler, went away from Jesus sad and did not follow Jesus because he had great wealth. And after he loses that potential follower, Jesus is like shaking his head and he turns to his closest disciples and he says, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. When you read the story, why were they astonished? The same reason we're astonished. Because there was nothing, there was no reason this young man should have been disqualified from following Jesus. He kept all the rules. He was a good guy. By all accounts, he was a model Christian. And then Jesus asked him to do something that he had never asked anybody else to do. And Jesus seemed to measure spiritual health by Zacchaeus' willingness to part with his money and the young ruler's unwillingness to part with his. There was something about a struggle on the inside of us that Jesus understood that we overlook sometimes. It's like a a wrestling match on the inside between wealth and money and and the things in this world and and a real kind of soul-level faith that we belong to another world entirely. And that's what Jesus was going after. But Jesus wasn't the only one around his movement that kind of made this connection. John the Baptist, he came on the scene before Jesus. He was kind of launching the Jesus movement. He was kind of warming up the crowd, getting everybody ready for the day when Jesus stepped on the scene, right? And, and he's talking about what Israel's been waiting for. And huge crowds of people come out to hear John. They've been waiting for over 400 years for the announcement that John is making that the Messiah is coming, the Jewish rescuer king is on his way, and people are so excited, and John's saying, hey, Messiah's coming, and get ready, and the crowd's saying to him, okay, John, we want to get ready. We've been waiting for the Messiah. Tell us, what do we need to do? And John says, well, you got to bear good fruit. They're like, well, I don't know what that means, John. Can you give us a little example of what we need to do to get ready for Messiah? And John says this to them. John replies, well, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. No, 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 John. Messiah's coming. Like, this is salvation time. Like, he's going to overthrow the Romans and make us the head over everything. What should we do? Well, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. And if you have a food, if you have a food, if you have food, if you have corn dog or hamburger, they didn't eat corn dogs back then, they were Jewish, 
If you have a falafel or a bagel, give something to someone who is hungry. Share. And then it goes on and he says, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized from John. And they asked John, teacher, what should we do? We're going to get ready for Messiah with everybody else. And he replies, collect no more taxes than what the government requires. And they're thinking, well, man, this is our side hustle. This is what we do. We charge taxes and we kind of get a little bit extra and we stick it in our pocket. And John's like, you got to choose. Do you want to be on Messiah's team or do you just want to run your side hustle? Which one do you want? So don't collect more than the government requires. And then some soldiers come. And what should we do? Ask some soldiers. And look what John's reply was to the soldiers. Don't extort money. Don't make false accusations. And be content with your pay. Everybody say boo. Come on, somebody. That's a horrible message to preach in church on a Sunday. Be content with your pay. Why? And everybody was expecting the Messiah to come soon. Nobody's asking about money. Everybody's asking about the Messiah. How do we prepare for the the rescuer king? This is a salvation thing that we are talking about. Messiah is expecting us to be setting things in order and he's going to overthrow all the evil and and we need to prepare our country to receive Messiah. But all of John's answers have to do with possessions and money and things. Like, isn't that interesting, the connection that John seemed to make? When it comes to surrendering ourselves to Jesus, when it comes to really, not just praying it, but really, really letting Jesus take the wheel, somebody. Letting him transform us into the kind of people who will live in God's recreated world. John and Jesus in the early church, they could not talk about our spiritual transformation without talking about how we handle possessions and money. And we see it in the early church. Acts chapter 2, the church kicks off with a bang. There's like wind and fire and, and speaking in tongues and supernatural signs and a crowd gathers and a message goes out and people are baptized, right? And 3,000 new people, get, they get baptized in Jesus' name. They receive the Holy Spirit that same day, right? Everything's amazing. The church is booming and going and, and just, you know, flowing and showing. And everybody was, no, no, I'm just going to go on. What was the result? When all of that happened, what did the church do as a result of what had happened? And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's sobering, isn't it? Because last time I checked, none of you offered to let me borrow your shoes today. Nobody here offered to help me wear a bigger belt. And the one I've got on, it's getting a little small. They shared everything. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. So after service today, we're all going to go home. We're going to get the deeds to our houses and bring them back, and we're just going to have a signing party and turn everything over to the church. Who's in besides Rita? Rita's the only good-hearted one in here. This is challenging, isn't it? Like, this is the result of salvation? This is what it's supposed to do, right? And there, you know, it goes on and it says this. Look, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy. They were happy to, which means I wasn't cooking in this scenario. Great joy and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Of course they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. They were giving the people money to meet their needs. Everybody around the early church loved the early church. 
Now, that's a hard new converts message, isn't it? That's a hard new believers class. We do growth track around here, and we say, hey, come to growth track, and we'll feed you lunch. These guys were like, come to our growth track, and then you need to leave growth track and go buy somebody else lunch. Like, that's hard. And then you need to do that every single day. And these weren't super saints. They were people. It was no easier for them to sell their home than it is for you or for me to sell our homes. Like, these are just normal, everyday people. And that's part of the point, that once we belong to a kingdom that comes from another world, it should produce a different view of this world's resources. But that's hard. That's hard. That's why it's quiet in the room. So Jesus is bookended by John the Baptist talking about salvation and accepting Jesus, and, and then he ties it in with money and possessions, and then the church, after the Jesus movement kicks off, they're there, and from day one, there's something about the Holy Spirit. There's something about their new life that complete, completely changes the way that they treat the things of this world. But John and the early church, they kind of just took their cues from Jesus. Jesus actually talked the most about money, and there's two different times when Jesus talked about money, and one of the stories that we're going to look at today, it's found in Mark's account of Jesus's career, which I think is awesome. Mark actually heard firsthand from Peter, and it's like these are guys that were in the huddle with Jesus. They heard what Jesus said. They knew what Jesus was thinking. They wrote it all down so that we get to hear what was going on in the inner circle. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus has just debated a bunch of religious people. It's in front of a huge crowd, and they all love it. Because nobody back then liked the religious people. None of the common people liked the religious people. And he gave this brilliant answer, and, and the crowd's eating it up. And Mark says, man, by the time Jesus was done with him on that day, nobody dared ask him any more questions. Like Jesus just decimated them on the Bible and law and God and all of these kinds of things. And then near the end of what Jesus was talking about, Jesus tells the crowd, like, watch out for these religious hot shots. These guys, man, they like to pretend like they're really in tight with God, but just look at how they treat people and all this stuff. They like to wear their fancy robes and demand respect all over town. They want the really important seats at church. They want to be noticed in all the banquets. And in fact, look at this, he says in Mark 12 and 40. They devour widows' houses. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. And these men will be punished most severely. Jesus is saying these guys are like sharks, they're just out to eat up whatever they can get. And they kind of prey on the consciences and the hopes of widow women, which just seems so horrible, right? I mean, fraud on senior citizens is just so horrible to take advantage of the, of the vulnerable like that, right? And, and especially in those days when women, uh, you know, widows especially had no social net to fall back on. I mean, if they were broke, they were in trouble. That's why widows and orphans were such a priority of the early church. And Jesus is saying, look at these guys. They go after even widow's money. These guys are not in my club. Don't associate these guys with me. And then it's almost like he wants to contrast. That's how these guys treat wid widows. Let's go and let's see what God thinks about widows. And so he pulls his, his disciples over, marches them right over to the place where they collect offerings for the temple. In Mark 12 and 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd. Everybody say, watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts. 
These people, the, the Jewish society had this crazy system, not a crazy system, very orderly system, actually. They gave around 23% to this national tax every year. 10% was for one thing. 10% was for another thing. My mind's going blank. And then there was like this 3%. It was 10% they paid every three years that basically went to those that were poor and in poverty and cared for you know, the maintenance of the temple, the priests, and then the equivalent of our welfare and, and many rich people. They came up, and boy, they liked to announce how much money they were given. Like, it's good to be rich. Strutting up, strolling up, rolling up like a baller. Like, grills in. Like, they're just, re- just dumping piles of money, making it rain around the offering collection. And the disciples, they're distracted by all the big givers. And Jesus, did you see that guy? He gave thousands, and Jesus is like, well, we're here to watch people give, but I, I'm not here to watch that guy give. In fact, I'm looking for her right there. And Jesus gets them to focus their attention on a poor widow woman who came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This woman's amazing. We don't know her story. We don't know her background. We don't know who her husband was. We don't know how long she was a widow. We don't know her name. She probably never even knew that she winded up in the most famous book in all of human history. She didn't even know that she was the one that Jesus used as an example. All we know is that when it was time to give to God's work, when it was time to support what God was up to in this world, she showed up and she gave out of all that she had to give. She supported the temple, the place where heaven and earth met together. She loved the temple. She supported the priesthood with all of the good priests that did probably help her during that time when her husband had passed away. And she wanted to give to that and make sure that it was available for others. And of course, she was giving to the poor. I mean, she was poor herself, but she had something in all that she had left to give. She gave for the benefit of someone else. She brought everything she had and left the results up to God. Wow. Wow. How convinced she must have been that God would never fail in taking care of her needs. What amazing, amazing faith we see from this woman. And Jesus, you know, if I see that lady coming up and I know her situation, I'm a pastor, I'm probably telling her, don't give. Like, you know, just put it back in your pocket. In fact, like, here's some money from me and go ask Jason for some more. Like, you know, we'll, we're going to help you out. Like, we want to feed you. We want to, you know, don't give in the op. We would have stopped her from giving. And Jesus, who's the most kind and compassionate person to ever step foot on the planet, he lets her give. He doesn't stop her. He watches her. And it's, it's almost like he knows that her giving now was securing something better for later. It's almost like he understood that by her demonstrating her trust in God's provision, that God was never going to fail to provide. Hello, somebody. So Jesus lets her give, and he kind of nudges the disciples next to him and tells Peter to start paying attention and kind of gathers them all in close. And I think he has one of those expressions on his face, just like awe. And he's like half grinning and kind of shaking his head in amazement and calling his disciples to him. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And the disciples are thinking, her? Like, we saw what she gave. It was nothing. Did you see the guy before her? Surely she didn't give more than him. And Jesus is introducing them to God's math 
forgiving. That heaven has a completely different way of calculating our generosity. And it has nothing to do with the amount that we give. There is something in the heart. There is something in your heart. There is something about our faith that exponentially multiplies whatever little bit we have to bring to God. And what seems so small and insignificant with us When you put it into the hands of the one that broke bread and broke bread and broke bread and broke, hello somebody. When you put it into the ones, the hands of the one that broke fish and broke fish, and you know everybody's kind of wishing it was something different than fish. Like, come on, like somebody break a hand, somebody hand Jesus a hamburger to break up a little bit. Like, but when you put whatever you have into his hands, little is much when God is in it. And Jesus tells them, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Well, Jesus, is this some kind of commentary against rich people? Is that what you're doing? You know, you're kind of condemning the rich people. No, that's not what it's about. Jesus, are you saying it's better for us to be poor? Like, we kind of get that. We think God likes poor people better. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Jesus loves us broke folks in Jesus' name and aim. Is that the point? No, no, no. That's not the point of everything either. The point with money and possessions that we see Jesus emphasizing over and over and over again. Well, let's look at one more story before I tell you what that point is. Stories found in Luke chapter 12. It's another story that Jesus, another crowd rather, you know, he's, he's surrounded by all these people debating with these religious people again. They're always trying to fight, always trying to argue with Jesus. Thousands of people there laying into the religious leaders and, and telling the people around them, hey, the things that these religious guys do in secret, it's all going to come to light. And in case you ever feel like they're doing you wrong, don't worry about it. Just remember how valuable Your heavenly father sees you. And then he gets this really beautiful poetry that he talks about. Like, you know, God never forgets one sparrow. And so God will never forget you either. And while he's saying all of these beautiful things, like somebody in the crowd, like we know this guy. Somebody in the crowd shouts out, hey, Jesus, tell my brother that he needs to share mom and dad's inheritance with me. Like what? Like anybody know somebody like that? Like you're trying to watch a movie, right? And it's just to the part where the toys get to go back home with the kid and it's like good stuff, right? And then Chelsea turns on the vacuum. Like, now? Really? You know, like why, why are you doing this? Just walk all over the nice moment that's right here, right? Hey, Jesus, tell my bro he's got to split the inheritance with me. It's like, dude, can't you let it go for one afternoon? We can't take you anywhere. And I mean, like, they're, they're at each other's throat, apparently. They're about to go to, to trial, to court, to a judge. And Jesus tells a man, and I think Jesus used man like we use man. Like, man, like, who? nobody made me your judge. Like, that's not what it's all about. And then I think Jesus kind of wants to take advantage of the interruption. So he's like, okay, guys, everybody come close. Teaching moment, teaching moment. Everybody come close. All my followers come close. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard. You heard this guy over here. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? All kinds. You mean there's more than one kind of greed? Yeah, there's more than one kind of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, this guy's about to lose his relationship with his brother over things. 
This guy's about to lose his family over stuff. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. And he goes on in verse 16. He starts to tell them a parable. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so this rich man thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now look, it's not evil to be rich. What's wrong with this guy in this story? So far, nothing. There's no sin here, right? Here's the thing. He did have barns, but his barns weren't big enough for all of his blessing. He was expecting just a harvest, but then Jesus puts this element into the story where forces beyond his control are actually going to give this man more than just a harvest. And his abundance, his, his overflow, had nothing to do with anything that he did. It came to him from something else. We might say he was blessed with more than he needed. So what to do? What to do? What am I going to do? And then he says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain. Now, there's kind of a clue, isn't it? There I will store my surplus grain. Wait, that wasn't your surplus grain. That came to you from somewhere else. That came to you from something else. But what you had wasn't good enough. And so you're going to tear down what you had to build something bigger for you. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns for me and for my extra so that I can enjoy because the extra is all for me. Everybody say, me, mine. And he goes on. And I'll say to myself, oops. And he goes on, he says, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now look, we don't like this guy very much because we can kind of see Jesus is making him out to be the bad guy, right? So we're, we kind of don't like this guy right now. But honestly, we're not really totally sure why we shouldn't like this guy. What did he do wrong? He didn't steal to get his wealth. He was Jewish, which means he probably went to temple. He probably gave his national tithes for the temple and for the poor. Like any good business person, hello. He's just saving up for retirement, right? He's just making sure that he has more than enough set aside for when he retired. When I read this, I'm thinking, man, this guy's kind of smart. This is a great setup. Like, honestly, that's my plan. I just don't have any barns, <laughs> Can't even build a bigger one. I don't have any at all. So we might think, well, good job. But God says something totally different. But God said to him, you fool. Man, that's uncomfortable. Like what went wrong? What did the guy do wrong? Why is God so mad at him? He doesn't really seem like a fool. Like you don't get rich by being a fool. You get rich when you're wise. Like, right? Like, I don't understand. What is he missing? What is he not factoring in to the equation? And Jesus goes on and he says, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then, and I love this question. I love this question that Jesus asks. And then, like after you pass and after your life is demanded of you, like an account of your days and an account of your ways, when you stand before God and you give an answer for your life, who will get what you have prepared for who? Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
You made a lot of plans for you, and you didn't look around and make plans for what God was up to in this world. You planned and put a lot of time into you. You put your needs and your future front, front and center. And God blessed you so that it returned more than what you expected, but you never acknowledged the source of your blessings. You thought it was my surplus, but it was really God's surplus given into your hands. And instead of planning how you might benefit others, instead of planning for the future date when you exit this world and take your first step in God's new world, you have lived everything for yourself and tried to keep it all for yourself in this world. And see, here's the thing. We see Jesus talking about a principle here that we've talked about before, and I'm intentionally talking about it again, and we will always talk about this probably like every year because I think this is so powerful and so sobering that Jesus defines greed by what greed assumes about what we have. Jesus defines greed by greed's assumption about what we have. And honestly, this always makes us a little uncomfortable. When we think of greedy people, we usually think of Scrooge McDuck, right? Like an old person, he's got a vault somewhere in his basement, right? Doesn't like to use electricity, never takes baths, right? Like always yells at the kids out front to get off his lawn, right? Every night he goes and dives off a diving board into piles of gold coins, won't pass it out, doesn't give the Christmas goose to the little, you know, kid with the crutch. Like that's, that's what greedy is, and I'm not that, so I must not be greedy. But Jesus is talking about watching out for all kinds of greed, right? And Jesus is showing us a different way to define greed, that greed assumes that everything that comes to you is for you. Greed assumes that everything that comes to you was meant to be used and spent and consumed by you. That's sobering. This is sobering. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder now if we went around the room and said, is anybody here greedy? Like, probably all of us would at least put our hands up halfway. And it's quiet again in the room. But Jesus had given him, God had given him more harvest than he expected. He had more than he needed. He certainly had more than he had planned for. Think about that. He had more than he had planned for. And he took the more and planned to use it all on himself instead of planning how God might use his extra for someone else's blessing. He assumed that it was all for him to keep and use up here and now. Everybody say, he never planned for others. Say it one more time. He never planned for others. He only planned for himself. He only planned for himself. But notice, Jesus is talking about plans. Jesus isn't talking about responding to a picture of a hungry child. Jesus isn't talking about responding to a picture of a disabled pet or, you know, the sad music and Sarah McLachlan singing in the arms of an angel, right? It's plans. Plans, not reactive, it's proactive. He did not prepare. He did not make plans for others, and he assumed everything that came to him was for him, and God said, you fool, because tonight your life is going to be demanded of you, and then who will get everything that you plan to keep for yourself? And then Jesus kind of steps out of the story, and he says, okay, guys, listen. Come on, everybody lean in. 
Let me give you guys what I'm trying to teach you with this story here. And Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. And see, just like the word greed, sometimes we think, well, I'm not greedy, so that's not talking about me. We read this word rich, and what do we think? I'm not rich. Jared must be talking to somebody else because if Jared could see my bank account, Jared would know I'm not rich. Hello, somebody. We think we're not the ones rich, so this isn't talking about us. But the problem with that thinking is that Jesus has just seen a widow woman give two small coins and said she gave more than anybody else, which means that no matter how much or how little you have, It's not about that. It is about your heart and your generosity and about the direction of your giving, whether or not you give toward yourself or if you are giving toward God. It's not about amount. It's about heart and percentages. It's not about amount. It's about our attachment to things. It's not about an amount. It's about our faith versus our fears. It's about whether we imagine it is our job to provide for for our own needs or whether or not we have surrendered that role to God who has said that if we will put him first, he will take care of us. It's measured by the way that we give ourselves to meet the needs of others. It's measured by the way that we plan not not for ourselves, but the way that we plan to meet the needs of somebody else. We have been saved. We have been changed. We have been so generously given grace and mercy that we didn't earn. It didn't come out of our own good works. It didn't grow in the soil of our own righteousness, but freely from heaven it came without limit. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Without condition, God's goodness came. And so he's asking, so what's the direction of the blessings that have been put into your hands? And this is going to be the same thing for everybody who is not rich toward God, toward God. You can be rich in the direction of yourself, or you can be rich in the direction of someone else. You can store up what you don't really need for yourself, or you can plan. You can plan. You can plan to redirect God's abundant blessing and be rich toward God. God. Think about it. That little widow woman came and and she gave, and honestly, it seems a little reckless. You gave the last two cents that you had. By contrast, the rich man's done pretty well, right? Like, we want him leading the next Financial Peace University, honestly. Like, hello, model citizen. Like, put him up there, which means that our beliefs about money and giving are not only radically different than Jesus' beliefs about money and giving, but that we're probably in the wrong. Jesus, help us. Man, it's quiet in the room. It's quiet. The rich man thought and thought about himself and made plans for his own future, and Jesus wanted him to think about others. And then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, like here's, here's what the story was there for. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Turn to somebody and tell them, don't worry. Oh, come on, convince them this morning. Come on, one more time, one more time. Don't worry. Now turn to somebody else and say, be happy. No. The landlord says your rent is late. It's going to have to retaliate. 
but don't worry. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Don't worry about whether or not God can. Don't worry about whether or not God will. Didn't God said he would? Didn't God say? Has not God said? Then why are we so worried that God won't? And he goes on and he says, look at the birds. God takes care of them. Look at all the worms in the ground. He gives them for the birds. Some people try and eat them for themselves. Just like, look at the flowers. They're all around. God dresses them each and every morning. Like, look at them. Some of y'all, I see your outfits. You don't match at all. God dresses the flowers. <laughs> just kidding. Y'all look amazing today. It's just, I had Chelsea dress me, so I know I match, right? Just, the rich man was planning how he would eat, drink, and be merry, and that's how unbelievers prioritize. That's what Jesus said. The pagans chase after these things, but your heavenly Father already knows what you need. He says, so based on all that, seek his kingdom. And all of these things, all the things that people worry about, all the things that people are so concerned about, they will be given to you as well. If I can say it this way from the story of the rich man, be rich toward God, and God will be rich toward you. Now, I want to ask you something about this. You know what you have in your bank account. Who wins in this equation? Come on, somebody. Who wins in the being rich? Who wins in the giving more? Who's going to win out of all that? You are going to, well, well let's just go on. Be rich toward God. I, know I got two copper coins. That's all I got. And God has got everything I need and so much more. God has blessings and peace and salvation and freedom from anxiety. He has protection and healing. He has future. He has all of these things. Be rich towards God and God will be rich toward you. And So what did Jesus know about money and possessions that we forget, that we don't know sometimes? He knew that richness has a direction. That where we aim our blessings... Where we aim what we do not need but still has come into our hands. The direction of our blessings is an indicator of our spiritual condition. And it shows whether our treasures are still here in this world or if we have indeed started to live for the eternal world to come. It's a way to assess your health. Come on, Dustin, give these people hope this morning. Now, can you imagine the impact we could have on our world. Can you imagine if we didn't have enough window space to put up the thank you? And we didn't. We ran out of window space. Can you imagine if we didn't have enough space in this building to stick up all of the thank yous that we get from people that we bless, that we step into their lives and without asking for anything or requiring anything from anybody, if we gave and gave and gave because Jesus gives and gives and gives. Can you imagine what we could do in this world? Can you imagine the people that can't even afford the, the health care that is supposed to come to us freely? Can you imagine if we could give to all the people that have to stand in line at food banks? If we could show them that, hey, when God comes and remakes the world, when everybody decides they want God to be king, when everyone lives as if God is king, this is the kind of world we could live in. Can you imagine what we could do? Can you imagine what you could do if your neighbor 
that has that need, right? They don't know where their money's going to come from. They don't know if they're going to be able to afford shoes for their kid or clothes or whatever. Maybe your family member that's just having a rough stretch of it, going through a hard time. Can you imagine your witness If you weren't always, if we weren't always pointing fingers in people's faces, but if we came to them open-handed with blessing and with benefit to show them God loves you and God sees you and God has not forgotten about you. Mm. Can you imagine what life could feel like? Hello, somebody here buried under credit card debt. Can you imagine what life would feel like debt-free? Can you imagine what it would feel like to treat money and finances God's way and just just lose your worry, to wake up in the morning and, and know that you have enough money to put gas in the car, to know that you have enough money to put a little bit onto the kid's lunch account at school? Hello, that's the life that God wants for you. Talking about finances at church, it's a deeply spiritual thing because it shows your level of trust in a God that wants so very badly to be rich towards you and to me and to to prove his goodness towards us. To prove his goodness towards us. So here's the thing. I need a couple more minutes and then I'll let you go this morning. I promise. You have to be rich toward God. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you got to have a plan. And that word plan was intentional today. You have to have a plan for directing your blessings. And if you don't want to give at City Grace, that's fine. You can give to another place. I, I don't mind. Just give to the kingdom. I think we're a pretty good place to give, but I'm not going to force it. But you got to give something because God's been good to you. And you have to be rich toward God. But if it is at City Grace, here's the formula that we have for you to give. We want you to give with priority. We want you to give in percentage. And we want, to give, we want you to give progressively. We talked about priority last week. Giving to God first. And letting all of your worry and all of your anxiety be handled as God picks up the back end. Hello, somebody. Don't give God your leftovers. Give to God first. Prove your trust in His faithfulness. And then the percentage. We see percentage talked about by Jesus time and time again. The widow who gave the two copper coins, he said she gave 100%, which means she gave more than everybody else. Paul writes later on in the New Testament that everyone should give in accordance with their income. Amount doesn't matter. Percentage is what God looks at. God wants to know how much of your heart you have trusted into his care. And so we tell members of City Grace, as, ask God to put a percentage in your heart and start giving there. You may not be able to jump into giving to God at 10%. That might be a big leap. I get that. If you're new to following Jesus and you've never given that much money before every month, you can't jump in and give that every time, like right off the bat. But maybe you can start at 2% or 3%. Pick a percentage of what God has blessed you and plan where it is going to go. Plan the direction. Schedule the direction. Don't do it randomly, but do it ahead of time. And every paycheck, we at City Grace, together, we give a percentage of what God has blessed us with. And we give it first because we give priority. It's called tithing. Now listen, the word tithing literally means a tenth, so we think you should work your way up to 10%. Eventually get there to 10%. We don't take offerings here at City Grace, but everything that we do is supported by you who sits in these pews. Everything that we enjoy and everything that we've experienced here, it's all because of people that have taken these principles to heart. And God has blessed us. Can I hear a loud amen from somebody? 
Oh, come on. Does God keep his word? Does God keep his word? So start tithing somewhere. Start at 3% and then increase it. And that's the third P in this formula, the progressive giving. Somebody asked me some one time, why, why don't you demand that givers give 10% at City Grace? You know why? Because if I demand you to give City Grace, I'm worried that you're going to think City Grace... Uh, if I demand... If I demand that you give 10% at City Grace, I'm worried that you'll think 10% is all you need to give. I want 10% to be your beginning. That's just, that's where I am with it. Hello? If I got $30 million, should I, should I just give $3 million to God and then keep the rest for myself? Maybe I keep $3 million for myself and I give $27 to God. Then the whole formula is flipped. God, please bless me to give you 90%. Hello? I'll drive a Range Rover and give God 90%. But I'll use my Range Rover to take shoes to Fairview. I promise. Promise. I promise. Hello, somebody. God, as long as you keep blessing me, it will not come to me for me, but God, I will switch the direction around. And I will show my love for you by the way that I love others. Come on, somebody. Let's make a new day. Let's be something brand new. So here's the end. Here's the thing. There are three ways to be rich at City Grace. And I'm going to go through these backwards, starting with a dream builder down there at the bottom. You tithe. You move your way up to that 10% mark. And then as God lays on your heart to give offerings or to give a fair view or different needs or projects that come out, you give above and beyond your 10%. Those are dream builders at City Grace. This building that we're in, the sound system, the lights, everything that we do in ministry, the students' ministry, the kids' curriculum, everything that's happening right now is because of dream builders at City Grace that have been here since, I mean, for 30-plus years. Years. There are people sitting in these pews that give 10% plus every single month, and none of us are hurting. Nobody's starving, but our hearts are full because of God's blessing that he has given to each and every one of us. But hey, again, maybe you're not there yet, so maybe you're a tither at City Grace. Maybe you're ready to commit to a percentage and it might start out a little bit lower, but you, as you learn to lean on God's faithfulness, you, you increase your giving up to that 10% mark. That's a tither at City Grace. But maybe you're brand new to all of this, and even that seems a little bit daunting. Or maybe you have other commitments, or maybe you have a spouse that's not a believer. Listen, I, give, I get that. Financial giving to a church is a touchy subject, and I want you to win your spouse's heart before you put any kind of conflict into your relationship. I, I mean that. But you can still be part of what's going on at City Grace as a life giver. And what we ask life givers to do is just start by giving a flat $20 a week to the ministries and the mission that we take on here at City Grace. And eventually you can increase that as God blesses your faithfulness. But I think it's a good idea for you to make it recurring. Like plan it. Like go ahead and put it in there to automatically come out. God, I'm giving this to you first. And whatever happens after that, God, I'm trusting you to take care of my heart. So how do you do it today? And this is the end right here. There are two steps to doing this. One, make a formal commitment. Number two, start giving. It's that easy. Make a formal commitment and start giving. If you look in the back of the seat in front of you, you should have an orange envelope right here just like this. If you open it up, you'll see here a place you can put your, your credit card number. Or we don't take credit cards. You can put your debit card number there. We don't want anybody getting into debt to give. That's not God's plan. So debit cards only. And then you can mark on there whether you want to be a life giver, a tither, or a dream builder. And you can start giving today. 
or you can go to citygrace.church give, and there's a form right there at the bottom of the page where you can check. I want to be a life giver. I want to be a tither. I want to be a dream builder, and you can begin your giving with City Grace right today. Does that sound good, anybody? Anybody want to give to more than just one school? Anybody want to, anybody want to take on the whole school district? There's a, if I can tell you this one story, recently I was at a church leadership conference and talking with a pastor that actually he's the one that introduced us to the one for one campaign. That wasn't something we dreamed up on our own, but he talked about his church and how he began to lead his church to generosity and how much God has blessed them. They started out with one school. They chose one school. And I think this was about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. They did. They chose one school, adopted one school. And at the beginning of that school year, they gave every single child in that, that school a backpack filled with school supplies for the school year. Well, the next year, they were able to take on two schools. And then the next year, they took on like four. So it started to multiply a little bit. Today, some 12 to 15 years later, check this out, over 53 schools that they have adopted and that they give schools. It's taken over a whole school district. And now there is a neighboring school district that has come to them and said, hey, we want you to choose our school district next. Now, here's, here's, here's the really amazing thing. You want to hear it? That's amazing, right? That's incredible. Here's the really amazing thing. The city heard what they were doing. The city said, you know what? You guys take better care of the kids than we do. So we have a certain amount of money that we have allocated for that. We're just going to like cancel that fund, and we're just going to give that money directly to your church and just have you do all the giving for us. Is that okay? And the pastor said, Yes. <laughs> And then check it out. It didn't stop there. The local news station heard what they were doing. The local news station came out and covered a couple of the backpack events. And then guess what the local news station said? Hey, we're an affiliate with NBC, and we actually have a certain amount of money that we have to give out to the community every year. And we're not very good at giving money away, but you guys seem to be pretty awesome at it. So is it okay if we just give you our money and then you can just give the money out to the people? It's God, man. God. They didn't plan for it. They never expected it. But as they began to show God, the direction of our heart is out. The direction of our heart is not towards us. God, we believe in you. We trust in you to take care of everything else. And we put all of our blessings to be rich toward you. God began to be rich toward them. And the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ is shining so radiantly in that city because a few people like you and me decided, God, everything that comes to me is not for me. And all of your blessings, God, I want to return to you. Come on, can we stand up all over this room? For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.